Welcome to Quit Bleeping Around, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve more in life. Here's your host, Christina Eanes. Hey, Super Achievers. For this episode, I'm interviewing Dr. Jenny Byrne. Jenny is an author, brain and behavior expert, psychiatrist, entrepreneur, coach, and psychotherapist. Welcome, Jenny. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me here. Well, I am intrigued with this topic on what we need to relearn. But before we jump in, can you share a little bit about your background with our listeners? Yeah, sure. So I am um, a physician by training. I'm a psychiatrist and I also have a PhD in neuroscience. So I love all things brain and behavior. And I've done a bunch of different things in my career, including um, national uh, healthcare executive work, working with startups solopreneur to practice, uh, and uh, recently wrote a book. So a little bit of everything. Nice. I can't wait to hear more about that book too. So let's jump into the topic. What do we need to relearn in our in the digital age? I love this topic because I, I think that the pandemic highlighted things that were already happening and things we yeah. already needed to relearn, but it just made it so obvious that we couldn't ignore it anymore. Yeah. So, so when I think about, um, communication kind of in the digital age is what I would call it. So we're kind of out of what I would call the traditional office, which was that, you know, cubicle, you know, high rise building. Some people are still in there, but you know, most people are kind of out of that traditional office. We're really dependent on, um, digital communication, so a lot of our communication is digital, just like what you and I are doing today. So um, one of the things I learned when I had to do this for the first time, because I, like many people, when the pandemic hit, you know, really had to figure this out very, very quickly, mm-hmm. was that our brain processes d- digital information differently than when we're in person. So a good story to explain that would be, I don't know if you, do you like emojis or not so much or a little bit, not excessive emojis. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So I was a emoji Haiti, um, emoji hater. (laughs) See, there you go. Slip. I was a hater for many, many years. I, I felt like they were kind of like silly and frivolous and didn't belong in the workplace. And I was like, why would you ever use that? So I really hated them, but I was totally wrong. And here's why I learned I was totally wrong. When you look at an emoji, Um, You know, the first emojis are faces, Mm -hmm. right, with little expressions on them. So what I learned is that our brain responds to emojis the same way as if we were looking at that expression on a real human face. Wow. So our brain has something called face cells, face neurons. And these are cells in our brain that respond to human faces. They also respond to monkey faces and others a little bit, but really mostly to human faces. And the same cells are being activated when you look at an emoji. And Mm. because of that, emojis are highly effective ways to communicate tone. So if you have, for example, the word okay, and you have an emoji with a happy face beside it, it means one tone. If you have emoji with a, you know, 
concerned or angry face beside okay, that would mean something else. If you have a laughing emoji beside okay, that would mean something else. So it takes the exact same word and adds tone, which is something that many people really struggle with in digital communication because it's hard to sometimes communicate tone. So one of the things I learned about emojis was um, it's a rapid way for our brain to process tone and is often more effective than using words. Yeah. And so like, um, not, I know some people, (laughs) when you said emoji, so, and I said, you know, to a, to an extent, right. Uh, Some people like will write out whole sentences with emojis. (laughs) Oh, that, so that would be too much, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think best practice, um, what I've seen is if you have a very short sentence or short phrase and the emoji is almost like a bullet point. Yeah. So instead of a bullet point, you have the emoji to express the tone. And you can also use um, the symbols or the icons of emojis in a similar way. Yeah. So it kind of rapidly orients the brain to what you're going to say. So if I show a picture of um, a little gift box and then I say, here's a gift, you know, very rapidly, our brain can very rapidly see what's coming. So that's just one example of like a tip I would say is use emojis like instead of bullet points. Yeah. Oh, I love that one. Yeah. Yeah, And I've been uh, using emojis since before. I mean, I would do the, when we were using um, like the colon and the print parent. Yep. <laughs> Before emojis came out. <laughs> yeah, I think the first one was in 1980s. The early wow. 80s was the first using of the uh, colon and the parentheses. Yeah. Well, and I do, I, I uh, have studied influence and I have heard that the effective use of emojis helps with building rapport and influencing others as well. Yep. Yep. And that's just one. So I would say um, when I think about communicating in the digital age, there's a couple components. There is what we just talked about with emojis Mm -hmm. or emails, and that is all asynchronous communication, meaning we're not doing it at the same time. You could be doing it in the middle of the night. I could be doing it in the morning or you could be in a different country. Um, And so that's asynchronous. So asynchronous communication is typically more difficult, right? And that's mm-hmm. where you have to, you know, and I said about using emojis, emojis only work if everybody understands what the emoji means. Yes. So that's the nuance. So if you have a team of people you work with and everybody's coming from different, you know, generations or cultures, or you actually kind of have to say like, this is how we're going to use the emojis or the symbols yeah. and agree upon that. Otherwise you, you could have a misinterpretation if everybody is Absolutely. not on the same page. Yeah. I've heard, yeah, like uh, the younger generation doesn't like thumbs up emojis. It's for different things. So I love that level setting. Yeah. Yeah. For example, yeah. I'm working with a team and uh, some people were doing thumbs up, some people were doing checks. And so we just had to agree and we're like, well, if we review something, we're going to use a, a check mark. Yeah. Nice. And, and we all had to kind of agree. Now, you know, it's not perfect. Some people still use thumbs up and yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think it's, it's the collaborative exercise of deciding mm. what symbols you're going to use with your team. Yeah. Um, it doesn't take long, but yeah. it um, goes a long way. Builds on uh, team culture. Yeah. And I, one of yeah. my favorite things has been uh, with, with this one team where we really think about this in some detail. Uh, we took the company values and made them into icons. 
And then if you use Slack or some other platforms, you can create your own emoji, your own symbol. And then we can use that when we see people highlighting um, a company oh. value, we can use that little symbol like an emoji to show that. that they're doing. Yeah. So that's a yeah. wonderful way to use symbols to kind of reinforce culture in a digital world. Wow. Oh, I love it. Anything else asynchronous before we move to synchronous? Yeah, I think asynchronous um, is the one that most people really struggle with, um, especially email or if you've switched from email over to some sort of direct messaging and using it kind of comparably. And that drifts into um, time management and understanding how people respond to email and the fact that uh, one of the most interesting interviews I did was with somebody who talks about regret aversion, which is a fancy behavioral science word for FOMO or the fear of missing <laughs> out. So we all have FOMO. It's very human, right? Like we all have that experience and it happens with email. So one of the reasons you get into email ping ponging back and forth all day long is that you feel like you're going to miss out. If you don't mm. respond and you don't need to respond, but you feel like you're going to miss out. And so you just very rapidly send something. And then that sends you into that ping pong all day long, whether that's yeah. email or DM. So a trick that I do frequently is I only look at email certain times of the day and I chunk it and then I turn it off. And if I have to communicate with somebody and say it's like lunch and I happen to be looking because I can't do it later. I schedule send and schedule Ooh. send stops ping ponging. So let's nice. say I either schedule to send my messages typically go at 8 a.m. or 4.45 p.m. So I laugh and tell people, if you get email from me at 4.45 p.m. every time, like there's a reason for that. It's because mm -hmm. it's it shows that I got your message and you know I did what I was supposed to, but it doesn't make you feel like now you have to like ping pong email me because it's 4.45. You know, yeah. and you're like, okay, it's yeah. almost five. It's okay if I don't respond to this. And and giving that little breather stops that ping ponging. And it's yeah. pretty dramatically effective if you're able to do it. Ooh, I like that. And what about um because I'm also thinking about the like the the DMs, the you know, like Slack, something like that. Um, because that I mean it's almost like I know people have trouble not responding right away. It, it, suggestions for that. Yeah, it's the same thing, right? And it's designed what I there's things I love about Slack in particular and things I don't love about it. What I love yeah. about it is it's very engaging. They've done a great job of making it more fun and kind of engaging. The downside is it does kind of activate your brain with that little dopamine, you know, yes. squirt. And so it does make you kind of want to engage on it more. So my biggest tip for Slack or DM anything really is the concept of chunking. So if you look at brain studies, when you are shifting tasks rapidly, some people call it multitasking, which I would argue is a myth. It doesn't exist. You're really yeah. just making your brain go back and forth and back and forth between like a bunch of stuff. Your productivity goes off a cliff when you do that. So, it, you know, they show if you do two, two things at a time, it goes off 20%, three things at a time, 60%. And I mean, if you're emailing and checking screens, you're very in, you're very unproductive. So yeah, the chunking strategy is to chunk like tasks together so that your brain is not shifting. So mm -hmm. when it comes to email or Slack, that means you dedicate certain chunks of time to engaging with Slack. 
And when you are not, it's off. Yeah. Now for different work or different teams, that's going to vary, right? Some, some maybe it's once a day, some it's twice a day, some it's five times a day. It matters less about how many times a day it is. And it matters more that you do it for a fixed chunk and then you turn it off with no notifications. Mm. And then your brain is not ping pong, ping pong, ping pong, ping pong. You're like, okay, now's my time to do my Slack. And then when it's done, it's turned off. So the the robots can help us or hurt us. Yeah. <laughs> if you set your notification, <laughs> you know, if you are rigorous about that and you turn off notifications, it's great because it's actually very wonderful to to work virtually without things pinging at you. But if you don't yeah. turn it off, it's going to try to engage you to use it more. So you really have to kind of take control over the robots, specifically notifications. Yeah. Well, and I love too that you mentioned a dopamine hit because that's what it is. Can you share yeah. a little bit more about overcoming that? I mean, I know turning off notifications, but it can be addicting. It is addicting. It literally yeah. is addicting. So our brain has a pathway called the reward pathway. Mm-hmm. It uses different neurochemicals, but dopamine is one of them. And it's designed to be pleasurable. So yeah. it's normal to have rewards, right? Like food is a reward. Um, sex is a reward. Like there are normal things in life that are rewarding. So so the pathway is good. We we want it to be there so that we enjoy things, but it can get hijacked. Yes. So like you were saying, you know, digital communication can actually hijack it the same way that other drugs of abuse can can hijack it or you know, anything in excess or, and some people are more prone to it than others genetically. So, so in terms of what do you do? So by, if you think about your brain and having these dopamine receptors, they're called, so that's where you receive the chemical kind of lands on the receptor. The way to keep those regulated is not to exceed, not to give it excess dopamine all the time. Cause if you throw dopamine at it all the time, they're going to do something called downregulate. And you're going to need more and more and more and more dopamine. So getting away from the slack or the other dopamine is almost like detoxing from drugs. Wow. (laughs) So um, you can do it two ways. You can detox, right, by cold turkey detoxing, which is some people do, you know, holidays, screen holidays Mm -hmm. for weekends or days or things like that. I think for most people, that's pretty hard. So I would recommend the other type of detox, which is the slow and steady. Mm-hmm. And that's where you carve out, you know, if you're really an addict and you're just on Slack endlessly and you just think it's, you know, just start with five minutes. Yeah. Just reclaim five minutes for huh. the first week and turn it off and figure out how to turn it off. And maybe that five minutes, what you do during that five minutes is figure out how to turn off the notifications, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, and that might be the five minutes and then, mm-hmm. and then next week, 10 minutes and just kind of build the muscle. And then I think the other pieces like detox, you need to mentally prepare that it's going to be hard. Mm-hmm. So I would have something that you're going to do instead. So yeah. in an ideal world, what I try to do, for example, is I do a quick meditation mm. instead, because that seems yeah. like a good counterbalance for me. But it could be anything. It could be get up, walk around. It could be read something. It could be listen to some a song. You know, whatever it is, just kind of have a plan for what you're going to do when you're in that detox five minutes. Because it's going to be uncomfortable. And it's going to be a muscle that you really have to build and kind of 
plan for the discomfort. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Probably find something that gets you away from uh, any kind of computer for five minutes. (laughs) And and let people know if you're in a culture at work, especially where it is a constant ping pong, you -hmm. have to let them know. So you would tell your team or your boss like, Hey, I'm going to do an experiment. I heard on a pod, a great podcast I was listening to (laughs) that I'll be more productive at work. If I chunk time, I'm going to do this experiment. You might notice I'm not available from this time to this time on Slack. I'm just letting you know I'm running an experiment. We'll see how it goes. There you go. So you I don't like it. You make sure that people know that you're going to be off so they don't get worried. Yeah. Nice. Uh, communicate. <laughs> yes. Proactively. <laughs> so what about uh, synchronous? So Digital. synchronous is, I think, in some ways... Um, really fascinating for the future of work because now that the broadband and video like what we're doing right now is better, we have different opportunities to be together synchronously, but not in the same room. And maybe 10, 15 years ago, like that could happen, but it was kind of hard, right? Yeah. So when you think about synchronous um, communication, you think about the different senses that you're going to be using. So when you're planning out, let's say a meeting or something synchronous. So right now we have visual and auditory because we're on video. If you're on video, if you remember, I talked about those face cells in the brain. Um, we also have something called mirror cells in the brain. So if you're, if I'm watching you on video and you do something like this, And then my natural tendency is going to be also to do something like this. I don't know if you've ever noticed that humans do that as a way to bond. It's a natural thing that we do. So we have these cells designed to mirror what we see in other people. So when you're doing video and you're visually seeing other faces, if there's a couple things, if you do Hollywood squares where you see a bunch of faces, (laughs) that's very distressing to your brain. It's very unnatural. Your brain is like, doesn't know where to look. It's triggering all sorts of distress signals. So the first tip is you don't want to be on Hollywood squares. It really hurts your brain. And that's why you have Zoom fatigue. And there's a lot of research on Zoom fatigue. Wow. So, so a tip to you, if you want to be on video, but you don't want to have so much fatigue, uh, put on speaker. I mean, you could start with Hollywood Squares just to see who's there and say, hey, and then switch to speaker mode, which is kind of like what I have with you, where I just see your face. That's more natural um, than seeing a bunch of faces. The other tip is that when you have self view on, when you see your own face, you, your brain cannot stop looking at yourself. It is physically <laughs> impossible, right? <laughs> Um, that's because we're designed to do that. We have face yeah. cells and mirror cells. So we see ourselves, you know, if you walk down the hall past a mirror, it's very hard not to look in the mm-hmm. mirror. So if your platform allows you, um, you really should turn that off. It's very distracting and setting off yeah. alarm signals to your brain. So, um, maybe, you know, go on for a second, check, you look okay. You don't have food in your teeth. Yeah. And then like <laughs> turn it off. And then the final yeah. thing about video calls is that ideally, and I'm, I'm doing an okay job of this right now. I could do better. If you uh, situate yourself more than an arm's length from your screen, so um, a little more than an arm length here, mm-hmm. um, your brain doesn't feel like it's trapped in the box of the screen. 
Ah. So if you notice people who are very up close, they don't move a lot. They don't have much body language because their brain thinks they're in the box. It's like I'm trapped. Yeah. Yeah. But literally, (laughs) and then if you sit back, you know, and so if I sit back, it's actually a more natural distance for eye contact for you mm-hmm. as the viewer. And it's more natural for me with my, my body language will become more fluid. So that's yeah. another tip that people can try. Um, so, so I think with using video, video is wonderful because you get a lot of body language information. Yes. Um, but you have to be cognizant of the brain drain that it kind of puts on you. The other thing about uh, a lot of people doing zoom meetings is, they, um, they're not seeing it as a performance. And when you present on video, you are performing. And I would argue when you were in the traditional office and you were in the conference room, you were performing too. Mm -hmm. So treating a, a video meeting, like a performance, in other words, focusing less on the content of what you're presenting and more on how you want your audience to feel or think when they walk away. And that, if you really think about meetings as a performance, it will dramatically change what you do. It'll make them shorter. Yes. Right? Because <laughs> a 90-minute meeting, like, it's exhausting. Yeah. It will make you less reliant on slides. It will make you think about your audience more and what mm-hmm. they need to get out of it. And it'll make it um, easier for you to highlight the takeaways. Yeah. So, so that's another tip is to think about like the performance element of being on camera um, and how that will make a huge difference in the effectiveness of your meetings. And and then finally, you don't have to be on video. You know, you can switch to audio. If you don't need all the rich body language and all of that, you can just, you know, switch over to audio. Mm -hmm. And if you don't need all the audio, then you can switch over to async. So, so there's this idea of laddering up and down on your communication, right? Like if you're trying to explain something by typing it digitally asynchronously and it's like not really working, then you get on the audio phone. If that's not working, then you get on the video. If that's not working, maybe you do need to be together. Yeah. In person. Nice. What, what is the balance, um, when you are on video of seeming to make eye contact with the person by looking at the camera? but then also making sure that you can see their reactions, body language, et cetera. What do you recommend for that? That's one of the hardest parts, right? Because cameras are not designed yet to be in the natural line of sight. So you're always making a choice. I've seen one I'm interested in, um, but that's it so far. (laughs) My advice would be if you can think to when you're in the room with somebody, you're not making eye contact with them 100% of the time. That would be weird. If I were sitting with you at a table and I was like (laughs) close to you, staring at you, like you would be like, stop looking at me. Something's wrong with Dr. Jenny. That's really weird. (laughs) Um, So, you know, if you were in a natural setting, think about how you make eye contact with people. And that's culturally, different cultures have different eye contact, right? But most of the time you're not looking directly at the person. Yeah. You're, you're looking aside, you know, you're making a point and then you look at them. And so I think the more you can mimic that natural eye contact with somebody, and if it's just, you can't stop doing it, then I would recommend get on the call on video and then say, Hey, 
we have some really deep thinking to do while we're talking. And it's hard for me to do that. Like, do you mind if we just go to audio yeah. for a while and then just say we're turn Give off. yourself a break. <laughs> yeah. And then just turn off and then yeah. give yourself. And then if you need to come back on at the end of the meeting, like, oh, let's come back on video for a minute, you know, and just recap. Yeah. So you don't have to be on or off all the time. You can start mm. on, go off, come back on. And, and that feels a lot easier for people. And, you know, one of the interesting studies I learned about was that the Zoom fatigue is worse for certain types of people. Mm-hmm. So uh, typically women, other underrepresented or marginalized groups find it more fatiguing because of the visual scrutiny aspect mm-hmm. where they feel more like they're being visually scrutinized the same way that maybe they would in person. Yeah. So that's also really interesting. Like not everybody yeah. responds to this the same way. Yeah. Oh, this is, uh, this is very interesting. And I know people are going to want to dive deeper into it. So can you share a little bit about your products and services so that people can learn more? Yeah, sure. So, um, my, my, uh, main product really is the book I've just written, which is called work smart, use your brain and behavior to master the future of work. I have one section on communication. Some of the stuff we talked about one section on time management which is another building block. And then what I think is the good stuff is a section on human empathy and connectedness, mm. which is what I think yeah. most people are really craving right now. That's the part they want, Absolutely. but you, you kind of have to do the other two to get there. Yeah. So, so the book is out on Amazon. Um, and I am very excited to hear what people think. I I'm really excited to spread the word. Um, I also offer coaching, uh, typically with leaders who are trying to figure out some of this stuff for themselves and their teams. So I, I love to, to coach others and, and help them figure it out. Um, and then I do some consulting typically with healthcare. So if you're in the healthcare space and you need some help with your strategy or your people, um, I love to help with that as well, but really, really love to spread the word about the book. I think it's applicable for everyone right now. I mean, we're all just trying to figure this thing out. Excellent. And can you share your website for folks? Sure. So my website is www.drdrjennyjenniebyrne.com. Dot com. So drjennyburn.com. Awesome. You can find out everything about me there. I'm on LinkedIn. That's my primary social media space. So if you follow, connect with me there, uh, you get all my content pretty much comes out that way. Awesome. Yeah. We'll make sure that gets into the episode description. Okay. Final piece of advice. What do you have for us? My final piece of advice is don't be scared. Take this opportunity we have to think about work, what it means to you, what it means to others. And let's take the opportunity and make it better. Like, let's not just make work suck, you know, like, I think we have an opportunity to make it better. So be a little brave, be a little curious, be willing to try some new things, and you might even have some fun. I love that, especially since we're spending 40 plus hours of our life at work every week, right? <laughs> yeah, why not make it a why little not make fun? It fun? It's, it's really, it doesn't have to be so serious all the time. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was great. If you'd like to learn more about Jenny, visit her website at drjennyburn.com. Interested in expanding your employee development program? Visit ChristinaEans.com to look at the many workshops Christina has available for you.